It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner. Thank you for meeting me in the middle and out or every Saturday at two o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe we dive into a subject or two that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. We are in the full throes of spring out there. When I got up this morning and said it might rain. Doesn't look that way here in Midtown Manhattan. We'll be here until three o'clock when Curtis Lewa joins me for left versus right. And you can catch us anywhere, anywhere that terrestrial radio can find you on the East Coast. You can find 77 WABC Radio, the most powerful radio station in America. You can also stream us on WABCradio.com. We've got a fancy app that you should download that makes it all easy. Just turn it on and whatever streaming on the air. And you can also get our podcast that way. It's great to have you along. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222 is where we take calls and your input. You make the show go round. A little bit of a rocky day for me. Hopefully, Christian and Matt and Diego helped me get through it. I uh, banged on my back. I'm not really, you know, when I, whenever I come into the studio, I'm not here as often as some other folks, but there's always like a pile of different shaped pillows that are on the on the chairs here where the hosts sit. And I always went to like, who needs all this, these cushions? And I realized for people who sit for long periods of time, being completely comfortable and getting your back exactly right is pretty important. And I need one of them today. I get this thing. I'd love to say it was from some macho thing. I didn't get it from playing hockey. I didn't get it in the gym. I get back spasms sometimes just a little bit out of nowhere. You know, I'll be reaching down and open a, a draw. I'll be, I don't know, whatever, turning a doorknob, and it'll go out. It'll be, it'll seize up. I used to think there's something serious about it. You know, and the more I read, a lot of people have chronic back problems, and thank God I'm not that. And for all those of you who are out there who do struggle with pain and who do struggle with back problems, I totally feel you today. But my thing is that that they say, ideally, you should keep moving. And, you know, so when I went to Jordan's hockey game today, I was walking up and down the, the bleachers, and I bicycled here to work. A little bit painful, but I bicycled here to work. Um I, I'm supposed to play my, my last game of my, my beer league hockey team plays my last game of the season that, uh, tomorrow, and I'm hopeful to be ready to go. But I can't even tie my shoes right now, let alone lace up my skates. 
But I'm glad to be with you. I don't mean to bum you out. You know, it used to be, and and some of our competitors around the dial, like all you hear is like shows about dealing with people's health ailments. We don't like to do that here, but I want to let you in on that because I'm not 100% today. You know who else is 100%? They, the Mets and the Yankees. Although they both came off wins yesterday. I guess this is something Curtis and I should talk to. He is a Yankee fan. I am a Met fan. This is, this is pretty rough, man. They're they're. I think the, the Yankees are barely over 500. The Mets are under 500. Nick fans are crying in their beer this morning because they were eliminated by the Heat. My brother Jason was explaining to me, you know, I'm more of a hockey guy than a basketball guy, he says that the Heat were deceptively good eight seeds. And, yeah, obviously they were. For the Jersey Devil fans in our audience, they were eliminated by the Carolina Hurricanes. In, in, um, but they have a really bright future. If you had to chart the three New York teams, the Rangers, Islanders, and the Devils, I think that the Devils have the biggest upside. They have to figure out their goaltending. I'm waiting for uh, for the phone to ring. So let's go to some of the the numbers of the week. It was a, a I mean, this week was insane with how much news there was. I don't know if you saw this. The Russians tried to knock out a Patriot missile battery that we had given to the Ukrainians, and they failed because the Patriots shot the missile down that was coming after the missile bar, the, um, battery. So the Patriots working. The Iron Dome in Israel is working as more and more rockets are being launched from Gaza. You know, for everyone who said, oh, if the Israelis just leave Gaza, they'll show, you know, just stop occupying our territory. Well, they left Gaza. Now look at it. It's it's a place, basically, that that terrorists launch their activities from. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, until this whole notion of, you know, we all agree, or many people agree, we need to have a two-state solution in that part of the world. But the Palestinians have to choose people to govern that are not going to be terrorists. And that seems to be the, the simple explanation. So let's go to some of the numbers of uh, the week. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it's even Matt who's taking the calls or maybe Christian's doing everything back there. Um, the first number is 4,010,158. That's how many subway rides there were on Thursday. Breaking the 4 million barrier is a big deal. We did it also on Wednesday because they're basically pre-COVID numbers. People are going back to the subways. They're going back to work. It's an optimistic number. Also, with that many, you know, people in, in the subways, that means that, you know, people are feeling safer, and that's that's a good sign. Another number of the week is um, 42%. That is the number that Donald Trump is getting in the Florida Republican primary in a poll that came out the National Research Institute. But that's up by eight over the hometown Governor DeSantis. Trump beating him by 842 to 34. Both DeSantis and Trump are in Iowa today. I think that's another thing that Curtis wants to talk about. I So do I. It's kind of the informal beginning of that primary season. They're both in Iowa today. And if you think, okay, well, Trump's just winning in Florida. Well, New Jersey, I know Chris Christie's talking about running. You know what Donald Trump's numbers are? They did a poll, him versus Christie. 71% support Trump. And and they asked, would you even consider vote, uh, supporting Christie? This is in New Jersey. 69% said, I want to consider him. <laughs> and that's it. And then, okay, so let's go to another home state. South Carolina has two candidates that are running against uh, who run, uh, running against Trump is really what they are doing, but who are running for the Republican nomination: Haley, Nikki Haley, and Tim Scott, the senator. 
So Donald Trump gets 71 percent. And um, I'm sorry, I got the number wrong. I, I was reading New Jersey. He is 43 percent to Haley's 19 to Tim Scott's seven in their home state of South Carolina. So Donald Trump is rolling along despite the fact that this week he was found um, guilty or liable, rather, of sexual abuse allegations and, and, and libel and slander. And he will have to pay a, a bunch of money unless he overturns on appeals. He goes on CNN, CNN. I don't know what they were thinking. We knew exactly what was going to happen. So he goes on CNN to be in front of a friendly audience, lies like 75 times in an hour. You know, everyone says oh, that you got to put him on the air. He's the candidate for president. I agree. You do have to do interviews, but you don't put him on live. That, and you don't put him in like you, 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 if someone who's shown a propensity for not telling the truth like that, you got to, I don't know, do a recording and then, and then fact check it as best you can. But I say, I, I put it in that context just because you'd say, if someone had sexual abuse allegations found, you know, liable and lost a court case and everything else, and if he, someone who said in CNN that he intentionally took these classified documents and 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 basically blew up his attorney's argument that they were taken by accident, you would think he'd be doing poorly. He's doing better and better and better. Whatever whatever the base there is in the Republican Party. Now it's not great for him. I talk about this a little. I have a podcast called The Middle Unplugged, and I explain why the age thing is not going to be a big issue, as big an issue as a lot of Republicans think. You can get that on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I talk about the numbers a little bit, um, but but um, Donald Trump continues to, to roll along. Um, in another number of the week, 11, that is the number of sitting members of Congress that have been indicted since 2005. I got there in 1990, uh, 1999, so some of these guys I know. People like Duncan Hunter and Chris Collins, they both won re-election while they were under indictment. Bob Menendez of New Jersey, he was re-elected the year after his trial for bribery charges that were resulted in a hung jury. Tom DeLay, former Republican leader, had stepped down as the majority leader. You can expel members. They don't do that very often. That's only happened twice since the Civil War, most recently in 2002, a guy named Jim Trafficant, and he's one of the more colorful guys that's ever been in Congress. You need a two-thirds majority. Now, why do I mention this, all these numbers? Because there's one other number, and that's 13 charges were brought in federal district court in the Eastern District of New York against our friend George Santos, that he embezzled contributions, essentially, took money that was supposed to be for his campaign, had them write checks to a business that he controlled, used it to buy clothes, that he got unemployment benefits when he wasn't unemployed. Uh, you can't do that. And that he filed campaign forms incorrectly. The funny thing about that last one is he actually filed campaign forms so that he, he had more income that he, than, he, than he really did, et cetera. He just lied to and grandized him. We know that the guy fibs a lot. He, you know, I have said this about George Sanders. You know, if you go back and listen to the few times I talked about him, what I said is that it doesn't really matter. You know, he's not – his. His constituents will get another congressman. It's not that he's the swing vote on anything. We've got 434 other members of Congress. He won't be around more than one term. It doesn't really matter all that much. You know, McCarthy doesn't mind having him around. The Republicans don't. The Democrats don't mind having him around either because it gives Democrats something to beat up. And no one really – it doesn't matter that much. I mean, it's colorful. It doesn't matter that much. Um, But when he came out, um, he had something to say about it. Here's his explanation. It makes no sense that in four months, four months, five months, I'm indicted. 
you have Joe Biden's entire family receiving deposits from nine, nine family members receiving money from foreign from foreign destinations into their bank accounts. It's been years of exposing. A lot of you here have reported on them, and yet no investigation is launched into them. So that's George Santos's explanation on the steps about what his defense is. It's it's Hunter Biden. <laughs> but let's go ahead. Let's take a look at Hunter Biden. He mentioned some numbers there. I I you know essentially so. This guy, Comer, Kentucky, chairman of the Oversight Committee, has been making a very big deal. He's taking this Hunter Biden stuff very seriously. The problem with my friend, Mr. Comer, and I shouldn't call him my friend, I don't really know him, is he has been wildly overpromising. And just to reset the table, I do think that Hunter Biden has not gotten enough attention on left-leaning TV and radio, and I committed to follow this story and to – I read it through. I read Miranda Devine's book. I read everything I can find online. I've gone through all the documents, all the accusations. I've done my best. You can go back. I've done a couple of episodes about Hunter Biden, and I promise to stay on top of this stuff. The problem is with um, with this guy Comer is he keeps over-promising and moving the goalposts, and he finally seems to have arrived at, you know, he did this whole thing. I'm going to reveal all of the information that we have. The smoking gun will finally be out there. And what he did is he went and got a bunch of, he subpoenaed these transaction reports, suspicious transaction reports. And these are transactions that are over a certain amount of money or come from certain places, go to other places. And he found that members of the Biden family have received monies from foreign entities and nationals. Now, the problem is, and this is a big problem, is that they no longer they, – they, the, the, the reason this is relevant is because of some way that it touches Joe Biden. And I have said for heck over a year now, since the very first time I did this issue, is there's, there's nothing there. There's no there there. It might come out at some point, but there's no there. There's nothing on the Hunter Biden laptop. No one's been able to connect it. There has been a grand total of one person in all of this stuff who said that a reference on an email that wasn't even from Hunter Biden or to Hunter Biden, it was CC at Hunter Biden that referred to a guy called the big guy, that one person says the big guy was Joe Biden. Even the Republicans in Congress don't hang their hat on that anymore. But the problem is they had this big buildup, and it turns out there are many members of the Biden family that have been getting these contracts for companies that they never explained what they did or what they didn't do. Totally, totally legitimate to say that we don't want people doing business with companies in China. That's fine if you want to say that. Totally fair to say that that the people named Biden were trading on their name, although they never substantiated that. They just said these guys are named Biden and they got this money, therefore it must be something suspicious. Totally fair, and I've said this all along. Nepotism, the nepotism that was in the Trump administration was out of control with with the daughter getting trademarks in the White House from the Chinese the son raising a ton of money from the most evil people, the Saudis, you know, billions of dollars while he was at the Trump organization. And 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 Comer dropped the investigation that had been started in the previous Congress over into all of the ways that 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 Donald Trump and his family had benefited. I am fine with that. The problem is that's not they're not showing anything as it impacts the president. So it's just kind of like, okay, look at these suspicious types of things. In matter of fact, Nancy Mace, who's on the committee, listened very carefully. Listen to the language that she used when she talked about the hearings this week. This particular issue that we're conspiracy theorists, we're not. What we're proving to you today is showing you 
actual bank records, actual evidence of shell companies and businesses or more businesses and more Bidens involved that we knew of. You have to issue more subpoenas because every time we turn over Iraq, there's more information. There's more possible corruption. There's more possible allegations that need to be investigated. I mean, yeah, there's more possible allegations. We keep turning over evidence. I mean, look. I mean, like I said, I'm going to stick with this issue. I've, I've said it, and on the middle that we're going to keep talking about it. I think that the right has gotten over their skis on this thing and made more of it than there, than there should be. I think the left has not paid enough attention to it. I do believe that there is a fairly good chance that Hunter Biden is going to be indicted on the two things that we know he's being investigated for. Um, taking tax deductions in, in excess of what he was entitled to on business expenses and making a false declaration on a gun permit in related to his problems with drugs and alcohol. Those are the two things. This whole China this, China that. If you want no nepotism in Washington, count me in. And I have no, it doesn't take a stretch of imagination to think that a company hired Hunter Biden because of his proximity to the vice president and now president. I totally get it. That happens. And it happens and it happened even more directly in the Trump administration, and I'm probably sure it happened in administrations past. But this whole idea that billions of dollars going to Joe Biden, he's working for the Chinese and all this other kind of stuff is just too much. And sooner or later, we're going to stop covering these big press conferences that people like Comer and Mace do because they bring things like we have more suspicions and more possible allegations and things like that. And um, I'm going to do one final number, then we're going to go to a break before we have a chance to talk about it, and that is... Um, the final is 35 days from Friday. 35 is the number. And that is how long, um, the, uh, prosecution will have to present Daniel Penny's lawyers with every bit of information, evidence, documents, videotape, audio tape, anything that they have as it relates to the case. As you've heard a lot here on the airwaves and we talked about last week, the, District attorney brought what's called a criminal complaint for second-degree manslaughter or a Class C felony. It's technically a nonviolent crime. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means, what is going to be required of the state to prove that, and also we're going to have a chance to take your calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're catching up on the legal news of the week here on The Middle. It's so great to have you along. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Led Zeppelin. Immigrant song. I think it's called Immigrant Song. So we're going to have a song about immigration. We're going to talk about the lapsing of Title 42 on Thursday and what that means. Curtis and I are going to talk about at the top of the hour. We're going to talk a little bit about the migrant crisis here in New York, but it is out of control at our southern border. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about the Daniel Penny case. First, I think I called him Perry a few times last week. My, forgive, my apologies. I, I 
I, I, I regret doing that. I go back and listen to the show sometime, and I'm like, catch things that I did, and I apologize for that. So there's nothing good about this case. There's nothing to be happy about. The district attorney, they took their time. One of the reasons they took their time is because once they announce either an indictment or, in this case, a criminal complaint, and what it means, a criminal complaint is not – I've heard it said a few times that he's been indicted. That's not the way it works. There's basically two things that the district attorney could have done. They could have brought it directly to a grand jury, which in New York I think is a, a minimum of 16 and in the most 23 people, and basically said, we think that Daniel Penny did A or B. Um, but we'll let you, the grand jury, decide. Here's here's the information. Or they can bring a complaint on behalf of the people and then go into the grand jury and basically says, do you agree? Now, the grand jury might not agree with, with Bragg here, but I'll explain a little bit about what um, second-degree manslaughter is, it's, as I said, a Class C felony, technically not a violent crime under New York State law. But it is, it is that defined as if you've committed second-degree manslaughter, you have recklessly caused the death of another person. And the recklessly is defined. It's defined as that the defendant was aware of and consciously disregarded the risk that a certain result would occur. And in this case, that result was death. So, you know, the, the, the question becomes now um, what will happen is the prosecution will present their evidence that they think that this is the case, and the grand jury will, will vote out an indictment, or they won't. Now, one of the things that happens is since, since they bring this criminal complaint is that Daniel Penny will be offered the opportunity to go in and talk to the grand jury himself um, and, to, and to tell his state of mind. Um, and if they don't believe that he was aware of and consciously disregarded the risk that he could choke this man to death, um, then they it might not then we might not the case then ends. The grand jury says we believe Daniel Penny here. We're not going to report out this thing. So they, so so people are getting ahead of themselves, saying there'll be a, a trial here. There there might not be because I can see um, I can see a, a situation where his attorney says you go ahead and just tell him what you're what your state of mind was, what you were thinking, whether you were aware. And now, and this has taken a little while. I know people were like, let's, you know, how come he wasn't arrested immediately? How come he, uh, you know, why it took a while? And the district attorney said that they've got to gather a lot of, a lot of information. I'm glad that they are. I mean, the one thing about cases like this is it reminds us how the law works. Like we all stare at it. We, you know, I know I did. We, we, we read what lawyers are writing. We look at what the statute actually says. Um, this is not an easy case. And I went through it last week and go back and on the, on the big, the red up podcast network. And you can, you can listen to the show from last week. I mean, it's a tough case. People act erratically on the train all the time. Anyone who spends any time down there sees that I had it. I had it just, just yesterday. Um, but we, we don't, we don't put people in chokeholds just because they're acting erratically, even if they're yelling, even if they're throwing their coat down. On the other hand, there's no reason we as New Yorkers should have to put up with having to figure out whether we have to fight a guy all the time when we're on the train. There's just too much. There's too much of that. And um, and we're going to have a chance to, to talk about a little bit, as I said, with Curtis, who has a lot of experience down there. But this whole binary, oh, he's, you know, ho- homeless, crazy person versus Marine. No, I mean, we, you know, I mean, this, if, 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 if the evidence shows that this guy, Neely, Jordan Neely, was acting erratically, 
Um, and even if he's tossing some garbage around and even if he's acting, you know, even if he's saying things like I'm I don't care what happens to me, that that does not invite um, that does not create um, a self-defense uh, self-defense defense for someone who who chokes him to death. That's not the way we, we function in New York. We have too many people acting erratically to think it's okay to go ahead and kill them. On the other hand, if this person, you know, if if the if the if he can show that, look, before that four minute video went on, here's what happened, and here's some information that we have, and here's some video that shows that this guy was doing these things. A lot of people have pointed out Jordan Neely was arrested a bunch of times. Yeah, when you're homeless on the on the subway, that's all the police can do is arrest you, right? We all say, let's call the police. Well, what do you think they do when they confront a homeless guy that they want to take off the train? They have to. They have to arrest them. That's what they do, and so they, they, and so so they arrest them. But I am, I'm not. You know, I don't have a rooting interest in this case. This is a tragic case. I mean, I don't think anyone could possibly believe that Daniel Penny got on the train that day and said, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, go kill a homeless person." Of course not. But did he disregard the fact that you can't hold a person in a chokehold for three, four, five minutes? And and you know, the interesting thing, I mean. I, what did the two guys that were helping Daniel, uh, Daniel, what did they think was going on? I'm sure they're going to get called. I'm sure they've been interviewed by the by the district attorney. Did they think there was, they, they must have thought there was some danger there. And then there was someone else on the, on the, on the audio of the video tape saying, you're going to kill him, pal. You're killing him. I mean, so what was that guy thinking? He must have, you know, and so look, this is a trial. I know we like to jump on one side of the fence and, put on the boxing gloves and kind of have it out about these things that, but thankfully we have a, a, a jury system that'll allow us to, um, to, to sort it out. And I also think again, just to, to give credit, I think that Eric Adams was right and smart to hold his tongue. I know he got criticized a lot of places for not standing up for whatever position, but you know, when you're the mayor, if you stand up for a position, like I think the guy should be indicted and, and you know that then the rights of someone then the rights of someone are being impinged because that's how powerful the voice of the mayor can be it can be interpreted that that there was undue influence put on the district attorney and the same way of saying i think the guy did nothing wrong so i think that adams was right to hold his tongue i think other elected officials should have followed that lead and as far as bragg's concerned look you know he's got a lot of attention coming to a lot no one likes district attorneys ever there's always someone who thinks that someone should have been charged for something who wasn't, there's always someone who thinks that someone was charged wrongly. It's, you know, it's it's a very tough job. And I, you know, we had the argument around around Donald Trump's indictment. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough job. And I think that what the prosecutor should do is someone hit their, their North Star should be, I want justice to be done in this case. Not I want, I'm there to prosecute not I'm trying to bring down crime one case at a time, not that I'm a crusader on one side or the other. I want to try to find justice in these individual cases. And we'll come back. We're going to talk about another area of the law that is kind of in the shambles right now, and that is the immigration law. Title 42 was lifted as of um, Thursday, and it wasn't arbitrary. It's That's when the COVID emergency was lifted, and that had a lot of impacts beyond Title 44, but the the border – um, is where we're seeing it the most, and you have chaos. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. You have chaos at the border, and um, 
you might disagree with me, and I encourage you to call in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, but it's not just Joe Biden who's to blame. And so when we come back, we're going to talk about immigration and uh, the southern border. And it's so great to have you along on the middle. We'll be taking you to the top of the hour when Curtis Lee comes in for left versus right. See you on the other side. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Sting, bring us in, the Englishman in New York. Immigration songs are the order of the day. We're going to take a few calls before we move on. People do want to weigh in on the the subway situation. I mean, it. it I mean, it is one of those things that, like, you wonder, as I said last week, you know, you wonder what you would do in these circumstances. We face them all the time. If you're a regular subway rider, you know that if you just took – if you just took attendance each day and said, all right, how many people are acting erratic on this train? And then you start to think, well, what if there was physical violence that were done to stop the person from acting erratic? You'd say, all right, that would never work. On the other hand, there are times that, that you know, that it just crosses the line and you just don't feel safe. But let's go to some calls. Max in Manhattan. Max, appreciate you joining us today. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call, Anthony. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know, I, I just feel you're going in the direction because it – I'm so happy because it makes it you make it sound like I should we should just allow ourselves to be taken advantage of in the train um, and we should just sit there. At what point uh, does someone uh, just continue sitting there regardless of what's happening in the train? And what point do we stand up? Yeah, no, that's but there, but there's an answer in the law for that, Max. And I appreciate your calling. And, the, and, and, and that is what it's not just enough to say, All right, I feel a threat. You know, the, the, it has to be that, that you feel that, that it's imminent and you feel that it's, that if you don't act, it would happen to you. you. By the way, it is not the law in the state of New York that says you have to be punched in the nose before you can punch back. That's, that's not the law. The law, if, if you, if you feel that you are about to be attacked, um, then you can strike first. That's, I mean, basically that's the law in, in the state. But it, it, the, m- m- my experience, and I've got a lot of it. I spend a lot of time on, on mass transit. Um, a lot more buses, because there's a bus that goes up First and Second Avenue that I take a lot, but I'm in the four, five, six a great deal. I spent a lot of time on the subways. Took, took you know, joined the school on the subway every every day from when he was a, a little kid. The problem becomes that if we take anyone who acts like Jordan Neal, like throws his coat down and says, I'm going to, I'm hungry. I'm going to, I don't care if I, who takes me. That's not an uncommon thing, unfortunately, in the subways. That's not, and, and that, and if it's just that, 
Now, we don't know. We're going to find out if there's ever a trial. But if it's just that, then that's not enough to say that, all right, I feel threatened. Just because someone's just saying, uh, saying threatening words isn't enough. But it's not an easy question. I mean, Max is not wrong. Max, I mean, it's is that we have a right, don't we, to to, to be in peace. But that that doesn't mean that we, um, you know, we put everyone, we put someone in a chokehold every time we feel threatened by that. We have Mario in Manhattan. Mario, what do you think on this issue? Anthony, Anthony, we, uh, you know, the bottom line is this. Uh, that man is a hero. He was in jeopardy. Everyone in that car was in jeopardy. Uh, this creep, and he was a creep, 44 arrests. I know there are cops who, who uh, rack up arrests with phony charges to get vacation time and such. But the bottom line is 44 arrests means something. The judges should have threw the book at him. He should have been committed to a psychiatric hospital, so at least he would have got the help he needed. Where was his family, Anthony Weiner? Now they're crying for this Marine blood. Why wasn't his family helping him? Why didn't they take him in? Why didn't they make sure he took his meds? He uttered terrorist threats, Anthony. That's what was the, the which, which, which part was the terrorist threat, Mario? That he was going to kill people. No, he didn't say that girl. Did you know recently he punched a 67-year-old woman in the face and broke her bones in her face and knocked her to the ground? Well, here's the thing. No, I appreciate that. Now, here, But Mario, Mario brings some interesting stuff to the table. Now, it's that is all only relevant if Daniel Penny knew that when he acted. That's the way the law reads. Now, he's allowed to say, if I knew that this person had would commit, was dangerous because I had known that he had done this, A, B, or C, then that's relevant. And then he goes into the grand jury and testifies that I knew all about this stranger's criminal record that Mario seems to know so well. All I'm saying is the information that's out there, he's not, he's not threatening to kill anybody. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's acting. Look, the guy's acting. He was acting, I don't know, like minimize mental illness, but he's acting crazy. There's no doubt about that. But as far as this instance, this particular case, now it could be that like when the 911 call, when the lawyers get the 911 calls or when they look at, you know, it seems that this, all of this took place between Broadway Lafayette and Second Avenue in one stop. Now, did he come off a platform into the train? Did he come from another train car? All of this is going to be all this going to be relevant, but all the stuff about his criminal record, unless, unless Daniel Perry knew it, Penny, I keep doing that. Unless Daniel Penny knew it, it's not it's not relevant. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's say a little bit about uh, Donald Trump. Let's go to Al in Yonkers. Al, thank you for calling the middle today. Uh, thank you, Congressman. You know, Congressman, I wanted to say I'm not surprised that President Trump's numbers are so good in Florida. Uh, he has, as he uh, enters into Super Tuesday after New Hampshire and the Iowa caucus, uh, he has a strong Southern strategy. Uh, he is strong in the South, and I think uh, Ron DeSantis should really reconsidering entering this race because you don't want to be a pariah. Donald Trump will do well on Super Tuesday in the South, uh, and his Southern strategy, again, is strong. But I'm curious, Al. I mean, that's 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 an interesting that's punditry, though. But why, how do you explain the fact that he's doing better as he gets what any other candidate would consider more and more bad news? 
Well, I think he's doing so well because people see two years ago the economy, the inflation. We have a president who, whose numbers are plummeting. Uh, it's so bad that it's worse than it was with Jimmy Carter in 80 and LBJ when he told the nation he would not accept or seek a second term, another term as your president. So I think that's why people are turning to President Trump. We live in a scary world, and the economy is is going really uh, down. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. You know, it, it it is worth noting, though, that the only one, the only Republican candidate that Joe Biden does well against is Donald Trump. He And it's true, Biden's numbers are in the tank. I talk about this on the Middle Unplugged this week. Um, George and Rockland, welcome back. What do you think is going to happen in Trump v. Biden? Well, it's very simple, okay, is there was a... You know, Paul Dunn and uh, Trump leads Biden by six points, and it was done by register uh, voting. Uh, register, uh, uh, people, uh, where the majority was for Democrat, mind you. Uh, I believe it was like uh, 47 Dem- uh, Democrat, uh, 46 uh, Republican, okay? And they gave uh, uh, Trump uh, six points, and that's just the beginning, and I'm just... Uh, Agreeing with the previous caller, okay, you know, I just think that people such as yourself that are so diehard Democrats are upset about it and spin and spin and spin and spin, and that's the truth. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the – the, and I appreciate George. Thank you for calling us again. I mean, my, my thing is is when you put aside the Democrat v. Republican, it, the, the data does bear out that DeSantis is a better opponent for the Republicans than Trump is. That Trump brings all kinds of negatives that swing voters. When we 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 have seen Trump v. Biden before, <laughs> right? We know that that Biden, you know, Biden says this all the time behind closed doors to Democrats. He says, "Look, the one thing you know about me is I know how to beat Donald Trump. Beat him by five million votes last time. Beat him by uh, you know a bunch of electoral college, and things have gotten only worse for 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 Trump." Um, I agree. I agree. Biden is as weak as you can imagine. Except running against Donald Trump, and that's that's his his most likely opponent. Um, let's go to one more call before we we, we go to a break. Let's go to um, uh, let me go to Dave in Long Island. He has an interesting point. Go ahead, Dave. Anthony, I got a question for you. Yes, if you were sitting on that train with your son, and you reasonably believe that your son is subject to imminent bodily harm or even death terrible thing what would you do yeah this is it dave and that's exactly what would you do that's exactly the way i thought about it when i sat down to do the show last week here's the thing by the way we had a circumstance like this let's say two weeks ago we're on the one train i I think we were going down to um i think we were going out to staten island and it was one of those situations that if you're a regular train passenger as i am sometimes a train just empties out people just kind of run like a little panic sets in and I always tell Jordan just to not in that be in that in that state. But there have been moments that I have felt physically physically threatened, and there have been moments that I have that I have said, Jordan, you know, let's go move over here. And the things I always tell tell Jordan to do is that first of all, this is a safe city. It's the, one of the safest big cities in. You're, you're safer here than you are in Jacksonville, Florida. But there are people that you should you should be concerned. People uh, that are that are suffering from mental illness and homelessness are more likely to be victims of crimes than they are to be criminals. But 
That's the way I look. Dave, Dave's exactly right. The way I look at it is in this circumstance, what would I have done? I would not have killed Jordan Neely in this circumstance. Based on, you know, based on what I've heard. The guy throwing a coat to the ground and saying, I'm hungry. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think I would have killed a guy in that case. I mean, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't minimize the idea. We have a right to be safe on the subways. We have a right. That is a right that we have. And when we come back, we'll talk a little about Title 42 and immigration. And then I'll take you to the top of the hour. We courtesy will join us, talk about the Mets and the Yankees, the migrant crisis here in New York. Also, see if he has anything to say about DeSantis and Trump both being in Iowa today. Really great to have you along. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle, and we'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. And welcome back to the middle. That's Shinehead bringing us in a Jamaican in New York. Immigration is the theme this week. You know, there was an exchange. This guy, Mayorkas, head of the head of Homeland Security, has become the face of the administration, not doing a great job of it. But there was an exchange this week where he was, I guess, at the White House and he was taking questions. And both the questioner and his answer did a pretty good job of summarizing the situation. Listen to this. Going back to October of last year, there were more than a million apprehensions, but then there were also more than 530,000 gotaways. That's roughly the, the size of the population of the city of Baltimore. How can you say that the border is not open? So um, uh, we removed, returned, and expelled 1.4 uh, million people last year. Ask those 1.4 million people if, if they think uh, the border is open. Our apprehension rate uh, at the border is consistent with the apprehension, apprehension rate in prior years. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, they're both right. Both that question. I don't know who I would give him credit if, you know, the amount of people that are. And and this is in a way, I mean, l- let's go back. I mean, I've done a lot about immigration. I'll I'll continue to do it. This notion that we have an open border. Here's the problem that we have enormous amount of displacement all around the world that is winding up at our border, a lot of it in in Latin America, but not only. You know who's at the border? Ukrainians. You know who else is at the border? Turks. They had earthquakes in in their country, so they're at the border. You You know who've had the perpetual instability? Haiti. So there's Haitians at the border. There are people that crossed over four or five countries to get. They're not Mexicans. By and large, they're not. Venezuelans in a, a failed state of Venezuela. And we have a law, we have existing laws that the that that Joe Biden, Mayorkas, and these other people have to operate within about who gets to to be to apply for asylum and under what circumstance. And one of the 
the rules is if you're here in the United States, you can apply for asylum. You come here, you can apply for asylum. And while you're considering that asylum application, you can stay here and you get a date for when you can return. Now, the dates are now in the 2025s and 26s. That's how backed up everything is. And for the first time, not not back when they were first elected, but last week, I think it was even Thursday, the Republicans finally passed an immigration. They couldn't even themselves agree until Thursday. And they want to end the asylum process. Good. Or at least it's a start. They want to, they want to, they, they couldn't figure out what to do with the Mexican drug cartels. So they basically said, we'll study that. First they said, first they said, let's go make them terrorist organizations. Never said that's a great idea. And then they looked at the fine print and said, oh, that would just make any, every single person in Mexico eligible for asylum application here in the United States. I mean, what should happen is, and then the other thing that they did is they said that you can't hire someone unless they have a um, unless they have been registered in e-verify look I'm going to tell you right now it's not going to take long I will tell you how to solve the immigration problem okay first of all you take anyone who is here who has come here illegally you say you step forward if you can show us you've been paying your taxes you learned the English language you've got a job you're not doing anything to detract from our economy you're only adding to it if you can bring us those documentation we will give you a, a non-forgeable work ID card to let you continue be or continue paying taxes. You don't get to the front of the line. You get to the end of the line to get citizenship or anything else. Boom. One. Two, any employer that hires anyone who doesn't have that either of a legitimate U.S. driver's license or that card showing that you're here legally and you're legally in process, any employer, they get fined and they can go to jail if they hire someone. Then, once all those people are out of the way, then you go after anyone who hasn't come forward because you assume that they're they're cheating the law. When it comes down, then when it comes to the border, we invest in not judges, just administrative officers that process the people at the border for the asylum claims before they they are are let go. You do the basics. You do things like and any sign that they're on any international watch list, any diseases that they might have, and then you don't say come back in seven, eight years. You come back in three or four or five days. You give them some way to track them. And you have the hearings right there at the border. And and if, if you can, you 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 hold on to them until you have a chance to have a hearing. I mean that's this this that's it. But the problem is no one seems to want to do those things because both parties have to put a little something at stake. The left has to push off from its far left that says that everyone should be allowed to get under every circumstance, and the right has to push off from these people that said, Oh, it's gonna be amnesty if you let people stay who have overstayed if for some reason, even if they're paying taxes and doing just fine. Everyone has to give a little bit. And right now, Joe Biden is dealing with a broken system. 1.4 million people is how many people were arrested and sent packing by this administration. That's more than under Biden, or more than under Trump. The problem with that is that's a, that number is, although he said it, is kind of fake. Because the only reason is because that's how many people, there's so many more people showing up at our border. I've said before, you want to build a wall? Fine. Sign me up. All right, let's build a wall. I keep hearing the president say, I build a wall. And if that's the case, then why are we still having this problem? But this is the, the president is the executive branch. He can't change the law unilaterally. They can try to say, I need help. And but the courts are striking down the things they say they want to do. This is Congress's job. And finally, the House of Representatives passed a little something. Now the Senate should get in there and they should have an old-fashioned conference committee and come up with some changes to this. And I just want to say both sides are not equally at fault. 
Back in 2013, when I was in Congress, there was a group called the Gang of Eight, Democrats, Republicans, bipartisan, sitting down. And there was plenty of agreement based on kind of what I just said. And it was the Republicans who said, oh, no, amnesty, 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 and ran away and took guys like Rubio and Lindsey Graham and chopped their legs off and said, you can't, you know, you can't do anything about the 13 million who are here undocumented, even though many of them are working, have fake Social Security numbers, are working or paying taxes, et cetera. But this is a mess. But the, le- the legislature has to do something. Our Congress has to do something. And there's plenty of responsibility to go around. But this whole idea, open border, closed border. I saw DeSantis say, I would close the border instantly. Oh, yeah, how t- exactly how do you close the border? Exactly how do you do that? So you, you mean, look, and, and do you, we destabilize these countries south, in, south of us, and then we wonder why people come flooding, like five, you know, five countries they're crossing to get to the Mexican border. And we say, well, let's just stay in Mexico. Oh, yeah, tell the Mexicans that. Most of these people are not Mexican. These people come from Venezuela, from Guatemala, from Haiti, from, from, from all these different places. Congress has to do this. And we're going to talk a little bit about this at the top of the hour at 3 o'clock with uh, Left versus Right with Curtis Lee. I appreciate you being here. So I've been a little bit off my game today. Got this back spasm thing. Got a couple of texts from people saying I sound like I'm drugged up today. I'm not. I didn't take any of my stuff today. I'm going to muscle relaxants or anything. So great to have you along. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I hope you can stick with us to top the hour. Left versus right, Curtis Lee was coming in. That's always a burst of energy. With a lot of gratitude to my heart, I thank you for joining me on The Middle. See you on the other side. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price of participation vary. Terms apply.